Good morning, ladies. Why don't we go ahead and begin on this first Saturday in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So everybody slept well. It's good to see you all here this morning as we sort of really begin our retreat. Last night, if you remember, we talked a little bit about the, the need for a renewal of Marian devotion. The church, Our Lady, simply isn't loved and recognized as she probably ought to be. And that we need a renewal, not to go back to 1950, but to move forward in the 21st century. And so I said I was going to name sort of three characteristics or three essential elements that I think are necessary for the renewal of a proper devotion to Our Lady. And so this talk, today's talk, we're going to begin uh, with the first one. We're going to look at all three today and then sort of wrap it up tomorrow. I want you to think of uh, most images of Our Lady you know, whether it be a picture or a statue or an icon. Of course, some very, very beautiful ones, like the beautiful one we have in our church today of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and they inspire devotion. You know, I I lived in Italy for a while, and you go to these churches with these magnificent paintings by Michelangelo and Caravaggio, but everybody was around one tacky statue of Our Lady, and they're lighting candles to it. And again, we don't really care about the artistic value, but it's the devotion. It's the love for Our Lady. It points to something greater. But the truth is, is if you really focus on most of those statues and those images, what are you going to notice or what will you recognize? And again, as I'm going to say throughout this whole entire retreat, I'm not trying to make critiques. I'm not trying to say we throw out tradition. But I just want to notice certain things. Is the fact that in most of those images... Our Lady is never smiling. She's usually just like this, looking, of course, very holy, because holy people don't smile. Holy people don't laugh. Very, very stoic. Very, very sort of removed from reality. And it's always sort of in that same very devout pose. Even think of Our Lady in the Immaculate Heart. She's got her heart coming out of her chest and some roses around it. This is not realistic. It has nice devotion, but it becomes almost an object of art, something to look at, some theological construct that is brought together in a painting or an image. The same thing when it comes to icons. I have a number of icons in my home of Our Lady, but they're always very two-dimensional. And right there, Our Lady really doesn't look real. She's really not smiling. Neither is the baby Jesus. And of course, there's some purpose to this, When it comes to icons, the reason they do that, because it's to remind us that you want to look beyond this earthly realm to the heavenly realm. It is an image of what life is like in heaven, where things are different. Uh, They transcend our world. But the truth is, most often these iconic images of Our Lady, or in general statues or whatever, lack sort of a human quality. When we think of humanity, we think of feeling and emotion and love and tenderness and all these wonderful things that we normally would think about Our Lady, but these are not in these statues. Also, sort of connecting to that, if we take a step back and sort of really think about 
devotion to Our Lady or how we talk about or envision Our Lady or speak about her in our prayers and devotions, she is almost a super saint, a super saint. We have ideas of what saints are, but she is a super saint, so far beyond us, so different than who we are. It's like she wasn't even created in this world. It's like she's not even human. And so we almost sort of reach out to her as a quasi-deity. Oh, Mary, you are so far beyond us. Here are all these superlative titles that we will speak about you. You're a throne, and you're a gate, and you're an ark, and you're all these wonderful things that are symbolic, that are these theological titles. It's almost like she's not human. And even if she is, she's so far detached. She's up on her cloud, and she's just kind of looking down at us. She's giving us something. You know, here's a little rosary. Here's some, here's some little scapula or whatever. But she's our lady. She does not want to get involved in any of our problems. She knows nothing of our problems. That's how it seems. And so we're simply there to beg her for favors. Please give me something. Please give me this grace. And some light's going to shine out of her hands. It does not seem human at all above or beyond humanity. And that's the image, whether we know it or not, that I think a lot of us probably have, or at least are tempted to have, of Mary. And I'm not going to deny that she's in heaven, and that she's the queen of heaven, and that she's in a resurrected body, and she does appear to people and dispense grace and all this kind of wonderful stuff. But the first key for renewal of Mary in devotion is that we have got to focus on her humanity, that Mary was and is a human being. I'm not saying we have to get rid of icons. I'm not saying we have to get rid of statues. I'm not saying any of this or stop novenas or devotions. This is all good, but we have got to focus on and promote seeing Our Lady in a more human light, focusing on human dimensions things that connect her to us in our shared humanity. Mary is not a statue. She's not a superhero. She is a human being. She's different than us in the fact that she was conceived without sin and that she wasn't impacted by the fall, but it doesn't mean that she's a goddess. It doesn't mean that she's some plaster of Paris statue. It doesn't mean that she's some image that we put flowers in front of. She is a woman. She's a human being. And I think to a great degree, we've lost that. And if we want to see a renewal, if we want to see people drawn to Our Lady to begin praying to her again, we're going to have to focus on and promote a more human, compassionate, realistic vision of who Mary is. Does this make sense to y'all? Now, we believe, as Christians and Catholics, that Mary was fully human. She was a human being. She was conceived in the natural way, not like Jesus, who was conceived virginally. Now, she was conceived immaculately, and this is what sort of makes Mary stand out. She didn't have original sin. She was born filled with grace. God resided with her and in her. And throughout that, she had no tendency towards sin, what we call concupiscence. 
And as a result, too, because of her love for the Lord, she never fell. She was sinless. So to a degree, we have a hard time understanding that. But the truth is, we know this is a teaching. She grew up with two loving, caring parents who loved her, who cared for her, who taught her. She grew up in basically the same way all sort of children do, in a home with a family. She had, I guess, a regular enough childhood. Maybe not exactly like our childhood would be today, but she played. She laughed. She had friends. She had good times. She had bad times. She wasn't like connected to God in some special way. She didn't have the beatific vision. And she grew up with faith, and that faith developed. She had a prayer life. She knew what Scripture said. She knew of the promises of the Lord, and she wanted to follow God's will. So she was prepared, as much as we can be prepared, for when the angel appeared to her, even though she feared, she was scared. And that from then on and the rest of her life, and I guess this is the thing that I really want to focus on, she experienced the full range of human emotions. She did. Mary wasn't some stoic. She wasn't some detached individual who just sort of walked through everything and said, it's God's will. I have faith. No. She felt. She felt as a child. She felt as a young woman. And she felt as an adult. That's the crucial point. And again, I don't want to reduce our humanity to emotions and to feelings. Obviously, as humans, we have an intellect. We can know. Mary can know and learn things. She has a will. She can make choices. She could choose for the Lord and follow his will. But she also was passionate. She had feelings. She had tenderness. She had joy. She had sadness. And I think this is the real meaning of the Immaculate Heart. We can see Immaculate Heart as an as a, as a object of devotion. And there's some flowers around it, or things are shining from it, or there are swords in it. It becomes something unreal. It becomes an image and a picture. When we say that Mary had an Immaculate Heart, we said she was human. When I say, oh, this guy doesn't have a heart, or this lady has a big heart, what are we saying? That they can feel, they can sympathize, they can empathize. They're not a robot. They're not a machine. They're not some heartless fiend. So when we say that Mary had an immaculate heart, well, yeah, we're talking about her sinlessness, but we're also saying that she was human. And in her heart, she could love, and she could feel, and she had compassion, and she had tenderness. That's what the immaculate heart means. And that's where if we're going to sort of focus on renewing devotion to Mary and over the course of this retreat, talking about the immaculate heart, that's the key. A heart that feels, a heart that loves, a heart that has tenderness, a human heart. Again, we're not talking just about the physical arg- the, uh, organ in her body. We're talking about that capacity to be human, the heart which lies at the middle of who we are as human beings created in the image and likeness of God. Now, to sort of take a step back and see this uh, particular way that we envision Mary as almost sort of a super saint, I think to a great degree it fits into the way that Catholics for centuries were tempted to look at saints. The saints were these people who had heroic virtue. 
Which meant, of course, if you're a saint, you're going to have all kinds of miracles. They have a stigmata. They see the Blessed Virgin Mary. The devil tempts them. We've heard all these different stories of these saints and the legends that we hear about them. The great fathers of the church and their heroic deeds and the, the monks and the people who lived in the desert. Saints became extraordinary. They had incorruptible bodies. They worked miracles. And I'm sure this is all true. And this is good. And we need saints like that. These saints who are the prime numbers. But the truth is we've seen a shift thankfully, in our understanding of sanctity and what it means to be a saint. Our hagiography, it's the study of saints, isn't all about miracles and Padre Pios and St. Francis's and these people who did these outstanding things because we look at them and we can, in a certain sense, admire them, but they become superheroes. They become sort of out of touch with the reality. There's not the way that we can really connect to them. But this vision of sanctity began to change about 100 years ago, probably about 120 or 130 years ago. Anybody care to say who it began to change with? St. Therese, right there. Even though she looks like she is staring into space right now. St. Therese was really, not completely, but really the saint that broke the mold. And said, whoa, 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 wait a second, sanctity is something much different than miracles and transverberations and stigmata and, and praying all night on your knees and all this kind of stuff. Not, that's not important. But people, when they got a hold of this little French girl's autobiography, it's so like wildfire. Because here's a young girl who had no miracles, no astounding things that happened in her life. But she talked about who she was as a human and how to love Jesus and accepting her own weakness and the little way, and people ate it up. Hey, she was a saint. She had a childhood. Her mom died. She wasn't always that nice as a kid. She had a bunch of sisters. She lived a family life. She, she pouted and had a bad attitude sometimes. And she got in the convent, and it was cold, and she didn't like it when people messed up the art supplies, but she still prayed for them. And the nun who was clicking her teeth got on her nerves, and sometimes she'd fall asleep during prayer, and she hated to pray the rosary. And all of a sudden, she starts suffering, and then she struggles with belief in God, and she feels the dark night, and she struggled with all that, and she told jokes, and she was funny, and she was humorous, and she died, and she didn't work any miracles during her life, but yet she had tremendous love, tremendous faith, and tremendous hope. And so people love that. Oh, I think I can do this. This is something that's possible. She put a new vision of what it meant to be a saint, but she showed us what it meant to be human. Why? Because the first time in a long time, I'm not saying forever, here's a saint we can connect to. We feel that she can sort of feel our pain. She can understand what we're going through, and we can understand what she's going through. Unlike all these other saints, you read these saints that all work these miracles, they don't understand what I'm going through. They obviously never struggled. And I think it's the same thing that a lot of us sort of envision in Mary. Mary's so far beyond us. She's so sinless. She's so perfect. She has no idea what we're going through. No idea of the struggles that we have. No idea of the trials of faith. And so people became connected. 
And so what we saw in the 20th century was a shift, mainly because of John Paul II and his choice to start canonizing and beatifying people who were saints from a different view. Now, granted, he canonized and beatified people like Padre Pio, but also beatified and canonized a lot of lay people, people who lived ordinary lives, people that we could connect to. And I go down the list of saints that I think uh, that become very human, saints we have photographs of, saints we have videos of, saints that we know, and we know their stories, and their stories aren't painted with a bunch of miracles, but they're ordinary human lives. We can think of Mother Teresa, um, St. Therese's folks, uh, Louis and Zeli Mortin, Pierre Giorgio Forsati, uh, St. Gianna Beretta Mola, the doctor and the mother who lived in the 60s, uh, the children of Fatima, we go down the list. These are real human beings who strive for sanctity but still struggled and loved and had joys. You think of Chiara Luce Badano, this young girl. She's just a couple years older than I would have been. She was cute. She liked to play and have a good time and tell jokes, but she got cancer and died, but she still loved Jesus. All of a sudden, we could connect with saints. Holiness became something a little bit different. We saw their humanity. We saw them as more human, and they could connect to us. And this is what we need with Our Lady. This is what we need with Our Lady because, at least as I've seen it, it really hasn't begun to happen. In certain areas it has, and when it has happened, people have connected. What do you all think, ladies, in your mind at least, is the best artistic religious, devotional depiction of Our Lady in the past 25 to 50 years? I have my own opinion. What do y'all think? Anybody want to guess? I think, it's, I think it's the depiction of Our Lady in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. People remember Our Lady from that movie because she was human. She was real. She joked. She laughed. She suffered. She wasn't floating in the clouds. You know, for me, that, 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 that image of her, she got blood on her face and her hands. She, she, she was human. She struggled. And the way that Maya Morgenstern, a young Jewish woman, actually portrayed her was so human and so real. And I think if you ask most people, what do they remember about that movie besides the horrible blood and all that gross stuff, is the portrayal of Mary. That's a Mary I can connect to. That's an image of Our Lady that I can really, uh, that could understand what I am going through. So I think that's a good start to understand and imagine that. And so, as I said yesterday, I do not have any solutions of how to do this. I can say the first key for renewing Marian devotion is going to have to be a deepened understanding and appreciation of humanity. And I can say I think where we can start. I think we can start with, as is going to give you evidence that I'm not saying at all, I want to be accused of throwing out devotions, is meditating on the rosary. The rosary is central to be able to do this. So think of it. Let's think of all the mysteries of the rosary. So you have the joyful, you have the luminous, you have the sorrowful, and you have the glorious. Okay? We all know what they're about. But the joyful and the sorrowful are different than the other ones. Why? 
Because joyful and sorrowful are the only two that can describe how humans feel, emotions that we have. You could say, oh, you look luminous. But we would never say, I feel luminous. It doesn't touch the heart. It touches the face. Oh, you look glorious. Again, that doesn't touch the heart. No one ever says, I feel glorious in my heart. But we do say, I feel joyful. It describes what's going on in our hearts. I do say we feel sorrowful. It describes what's going on in our hearts. And so what happens is, we, though, forget this. And when we, and I'm not saying this is wrong either, when we apply these titles to the different parts of the rosary, we think, oh, these are joyful events. These are sorrowful events. These are luminous events. These are glorious events to look at the events that, that, that we meditate on. But the real key here, I'm not saying we can't do it for the luminous mysteries or can't do it for the glorious mysteries, but for the joyful and sorrowful, it describes what's going on in Mary's heart. It describes what she's experiencing as a human being. And so if we want to really begin understanding the humanity of Mary and promoting that, I think the, 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 the rosary is where we begin. And again, I'm not trying to say that emotions define who we are as humans, but it does adequately represent and talk about what's going on in our hearts and Mary's immaculate heart. And it's something that we can connect to and something we can talk to other people about and something we as humans and Catholics in the 21st century can understand. And so my encouragement is to begin praying all of the mysteries, but at least those two, from the perspective of trying to understand what Mary felt. I even begin by saying, Mary, I want you to let me know what you felt. What was going on in your heart? So not only do we meditate upon it, but as we're going to see in the next talk, hey, Mary, share this with me. All right, let me know what you were feeling. Help me to empathize with you. So what we're going to do, sort of very, very briefly, is go over the mysteries and the joyful mysteries and the sorrowful mysteries to maybe give you a couple little seeds of contemplation for your own prayer and trying to go deeper in understanding the humanity of Mary. And so we're looking here at what is going on in Our Lady's emotions and her humanity in her Immaculate Heart. First of all is the Annunciation. I mean, the joyful mysteries. All of a sudden, an angel appears to you, and the Spirit descends upon you. Imagine the joy that Mary felt. Imagine what, what she felt in her body as the, the Spirit descended upon her, and she heard these words. The angel spoke to her, and she didn't die. The joy, wow. This is what a blessing. I don't deserve this. It's like if somebody chooses you for something special and you know you don't deserve it. The joy you feel. Mary felt that times a billion. That's the Annunciation. That's why it's joyful. Not just joyful because the Messiah is coming. Because Mary experienced this joy that most of us could never know. The second is the visitation. Again, this is probably, we celebrated the other day. Think of most images of, of the visitation. Mary and Elizabeth are looking at each other like this. You know, Mary's like, like this. No, that's not it at all. 
I mean, here's Mary, she gets good news. She probably ran there. Let me tell you this. Imagine whenever you have great news, some blessing happens to you. You're going to run, you're going you're to get on the phone, you start calling your friends. Let me tell you this, and how excited you are to share that message. Today in our diocese, the, the guys who are getting ordained are going to, are going to announce where they're going. I know those dudes are so fired up to announce it. They're so excited to tell people, because this is good news. This is the best news ever. I happen to be the mother of God. And so she felt this tremendous joy. And then seeing her cousin, her cousin embracing her. That's a joyful mystery. But most of the times we think of it, we don't think of it that way at all. Oh, look, John the Baptist is leaping. There's Mary. She's rambling on with this long prayer. No, it's joyful. The nativity. It was the same exact thing. What, what do we think of when we see pictures? Uh, the, there's the two, there's the little baby Jesus, and he's there, and he's glowing. And of course, and Mary's like this, and Joseph is like this, and everybody's like that. And I'm not saying they didn't contemplate and pray, but it's the joyful mystery. How many mothers? Name me one mother. There's a good mother, when they have their baby, it's like this. Or like this. No, that's not real. That's not human. That doesn't speak to anybody today. But instead, holding the child and smiling and laughing, adoring the child here, the joy that Mary would have felt, the tenderness. I mean, I think this is a big part when it comes to this image of Our Lady. I've talked about this a lot. You never see Mary smile. Wouldn't it, what, what mother doesn't smile when she sees her child? Deadbeat moms, maybe. Mothers smile when they see their child. Why do we never see that? Here she's holding Jesus. And Jesus is giving you some fruit or something. You know, he's holding a ball. I'm not saying those are not good things, but it's theological constructs. Is that real? Is that real at all? And Mary smiled. And see, there are certain images when you see Mary smiling. There's some, and I'm saying throughout history, it's there. Even Mary tickling the baby Jesus. Isn't that what moms do? Don't they play with their children? Don't they love to hear that? Jesus would have done that. Jesus didn't come out of the womb shining, you know? It was different. It was a different birth. I'm not going to deny that. But the joy of the nativity is, is the same joy, even greater. Joseph would have been happy too. Wow, I'm a dad. This is a miracle. What is going on here? Where's the joy? No, but, no, but, and it's, that's why Christmas is supposed to be joyful. It's the new birth. But we don't really experience that because Mary has become some two-dimensional figure. He's become some super saint or some deity. What about the presentation? Again, I'm a priest, I know this. The presentation is basically like a baptism. We're presenting the child to God. Parents, their first day, their first child is baptized. That's a big day of joy. Maybe a little bit of a headache, but it's a big day of joy. All the family comes over, you go to church, and you get the little fancy dress for your kid, and you take the pictures. And you make the little baby book for the baptism, and you have the cake, and you have a big party. Don't you think that's what Mary would have experienced? That's what the presentation is basically. Now, of course, after your fifth child, nobody cares anymore. Let's just pour some water on the kid's head, and let's get out of here. That's why Mary didn't have five children. She didn't get to experience that. She had the joy of having that one child. And the joy of the presentation, and going in, and you know, when people, when people say all these nice things about your kids, you love it. Oh, look, you know, look at her eyes, look how cute. 
these prophets, Anna and all of them, are saying all these nice things about the baby. Some, some also some weird stuff, too, that might have freaked her out a little bit, but she was prepared for that. We're going to talk about that later. And then the finding in the temple. Again, what, 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 we don't understand this at all. How many of you mothers have ever lost a child? Whether it be your fault or the child wandered off and you find the child and you're angry maybe, but you're excited and you hold the kid and you kiss him or her and you say, I've missed you so much. Or the prodigal son who wanders off and then comes back and you're so excited because your kid comes back and is, is, is living at home or coming to your house for a visit. I mean, that's what it's finding a lost child. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't it a joyful thing we celebrate? Lord, son, I thought I lost you for three days. What were you doing? But you know what? I'm glad. Dad, Dad and I missed you. We didn't know what was going on. We were so joyful that you are okay. That's the human emotion. I think uh, y'all all can understand all of these things, particularly if you're mothers. That's what it means to be human. So I think going deeper into those things will help us better appreciate the joyful mysteries and see Mary's humanity. It's not like Mary's walking, son, you've been gone for three days, but I'm happy to have you back. No, that's not what it's like at all. But that's what, it's, and that's why, that's why no one responds, because we're living in an age that's different than it was 100 years ago. I'm not even saying they appreciated that back then. But we've got to respond to what people, that human, that speaks to the heart. What about the sorrowful mysteries? Again, so often we can focus on Christ and his sorrow, and that's what we normally do, because he's sort of the central figure. But the joyful mysteries, Mary is the central figure. Here, Christ really is the central figure. But Mary is there too. She's, the sword's going to pierce her heart. She's going to experience sorrow, the sorrow of a woman, the sorrow of a mother, the sorrow of a human being. So the agony in the garden, that sorrow that Mary knew this was all beginning, and then Jesus going out to the agony of the garden. I learned this the other day, that it, when the Passover started, if you were a Jew, you could not walk outside of the walls of the city. But the Garden of Gethsemane exists outside of the walls of Jerusalem. So Jesus was saying, ah, I'm the boss here, I'm going to break the law, I'm going to go out there and pray. But Mary couldn't have done that. She had to stay within the city walls. She wanted to be with her son, but he was alone. Now imagine if you know your son is out there alone and lost and suffering. What a mother feels. Mary would have felt that, a deep connection. And again, this is why I think that the passion of the Christ becomes very important for our meditation. The scourging of the pillar, even though I think in the passion of the Christ it was a little bit much, you get some idea of what Jesus went through. Imagine you as a mom watching your innocent son have to go through that. And that's what Mary witnessed. She was there. She wasn't like, I'm going to stay at home and pray the rosary when my son's getting beat. No. She was there, just like any mother would be, wishing she could take on his suffering and witnessing this and listening to the people make fun of him. I thought probably, probably one of the most powerful images in that movie besides the one when Jesus is in prison and Mary can kind of feel him through the ground she could sense where Jesus was it was like a mother can sense the sun it was ever she was wiping up the blood do you know that it's a powerful image that's the connection that's human and the pain she was feeling the crowning of thorns how many of you have ever had a child who was ridiculed or mocked 
when they were young, they, they were left out of things. Nobody paid attention to them. They weren't invited to Christmas parties or birthday parties. They were the last kid picked on the team, whatever it is. Your heart goes out to your kid like that. Now, granted, you probably want to go beat up those other kids. Mary didn't. But she could feel what it's like to see people making fun of her son, laughing at him. And again, in a culture today where we make fun of people on the Internet and we go on Twitter and we say all these horrible things, there are people who are really hurting. And that's what Our Lady's feeling. Of course, carrying the cross. And again, the film did a great job of that. Mary sort of following along, trying to see her son. The panic and the sorrow, trying to see where Jesus is and see him fall and to encounter him and to see the blood on his face, wishing you could be there. What mom wants to see a child suffer like that? None do. You are going to have a much better understanding of this, and this is kind of the point I'm going to be getting to the end, than I ever would. Your mothers, most all of you here are mothers, or at least I imagine are grandmothers or something, and you have children, you know what it's like to have a mother's heart. I don't. I'm a father. It's a little bit different. But to watch that son suffer, and then, of course, the crucifixion. You know, for mothers who've lost their children, to know what it's like to have a son or a daughter who's died, the pain that's there. That's what Mary felt. And she was there the whole entire time, like a mom sitting by the bedside of the child dying. I've seen that. Mom will stay up 20 hours a day, get a couple hours of sleep, eat a little bit, and to make sure they're there until that child dies, won't leave the side. That's what Mary is. It's not like, you know, we see these images, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but Mary's like this at the foot of the cross. That is not how it was. She was, she was dirty. She was sweaty. She was bloody. Hey, that's what it's like. That's what it was. And I think that's what we can understand of the sorrowful mystery. So, this is what it means to sort of connect to the immaculate heart of Mary. Not as a thing, but as a real human heart. Hearts like we have. And so understanding this deepened renewal of who Mary was as a human being, experiencing the full range of emotions, it can extend out to some other things. And I'll give a few final reflections as we close up. I think the humanity of Mary also extends to the humanity of the Holy Family. In my 17 years as a priest, without a doubt, the homily that I've gotten the best response from is one I gave several years ago on traits of the Holy Family. Most of us, when we look at these images of the Holy Family, we think that it's a monastery. It wasn't. It wasn't a monastery. I'm sure they prayed sometimes. But, you know, Mary had a cook. Jesus played. He had a study. Joseph had to work. There was joy there. It was a Holy Family. But we know what we see in our own families when there's that joy and that happiness and that solidarity as a family. Well, it's going to be in the Mary's Holy Family, too. It's not like a monastery. It's not like cut off from the world. It's not what holiness is for us today, and we understand that. So it brings about a renewal of our understanding of the Holy Family, this renewal of Mary and devotion. It also, of course, can help us with Christ's image, and I think a lot of people have begun to see that. We certainly focus on and need to focus on the divinity of Jesus, but Jesus was also fully human. And I think we've come to understand that and appreciate that. People love the human depiction of Jesus. And he's not always blonde hair and blue-eyed. That he had feelings, he had emotions, even though he was God. He loved people, he cried, he rejoiced, he ate, he sang, he did all the things that humans do. doesn't deny that he was God, but we see that Christ in a human light. 
And that's what draws other people, to know that Jesus is with you. Jesus understands. It's not some Jesus who's floating around in heaven, even though that's kind of what Jesus is doing. But he still connects. He can empathize because he was human. It's something that speaks to people today. And so if we can focus more on the humanity of Mary, not only will these, other, these things become more rich for us, but I really think that the rosary will become deeper. Our devotions will become more real. It will not just be, you know, just reciting words, trying to get it through it. I'm not saying it's all of a sudden going to become easier, but we'll get to the heart of what the devotion means. Mary will become more less of a theological abstraction, and probably it can help us with our, our ecumenical relations. Protestant brothers and sisters who don't understand Mary, yeah, we have these dogmas and we believe these things about Mary, but ultimately we believe Mary was a, a human being, and we can connect to her and to help them see why devotion to Mary is important because she's human. So I'm going to repeat a lot of this during the, the, the course of the retreats I have already. You probably say, Father, what do we need to do? How do we enact this? I don't know. I'm not here to give practical applications necessarily. We're going to talk about that at the last talk. But I can say what I want your homework to do. Between now and this afternoon, I know we're going to have a chance to pray the rosary, is to focus on that. Whether you choose to pray the sorrowful, the joyful, or you can do both. Really take some time to say, okay, at the beginning, Mary, I want you to share your heart with me. I want to understand that immaculate heart, not as a picture, not as a statue, but as a real human heart, and the joy and sorrow you experienced. So not only you're meditating on it, but you're saying, I want to have that heart-to-heart. Mary, I'm a mother. I'm a woman. I want to know what you experienced, and let's make that connection. And I think that if you begin to do that, you're going to be able to see more from the perspective of Mary's heart, deep an understanding of her humanity, And hopefully, God willing, it will bring about in your life, and then hopefully overflowing, a renewal, as we talked about, an authentic Marian devotion. Amen.